0: It's such a common um, comment from people who do come to our shows is how some some variation of it being like this meditative space or just had like it felt like not whatever 75 minutes and it feels like it's 30 minutes, you know, like that's it. It's very common for that. And I yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it is like a function of a both like right of like using. Like, it's weird to only use your ears for a long uh, amount of time. I I think that's very disorienting for people. But then also, yeah, the fact that you're, like, you don't know. Like, you come in at 7 o'clock, but then you don't know anything after that. Like, it is like this sort of, yeah, this, like, knowledge deprivation center. Like, you're not, like, you're kind of cut off from the outside world for for a little while, and that disorients people's uh, relationship to time.
1: The comment that I remember or I feel like we get all the time is in the first five or 10 minutes, people have, a lot of people have this sense of like panic, like, oh my God, like, what did I get myself into? Like, this is gonna go on forever. And like, in, in our original live show, we do start with the sound of mud pots for like five minutes. It's like, without with like, no no saying anything.
0: with, with noth- Yeah, there's like nothing. Right. And you don't even know what they are. Yeah.
1: Most of the people who come to our show, I would say, a majority of the people who come to our show probably haven't ever gone to a sound art or, like, really experimental music show. I think a lot of people are, you know, public radio listeners. So for them, this is, like, a totally new world. And then here they are in the dark with their eye mask on and listening to, like, mud bubble around and no one's telling them anything about it. And it's like, oh, my God, this is just going to be, like, two hours of mud. But then those same people often say, but actually, once they got into it, the show went really fast. When we tell them, like, oh, yeah, it was, like, 70 minutes, they're like, oh, wow, I thought it was, like, 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So there's, like, this weird distortion where in the beginning it seems really long, and then at the end, for a lot of people, it seems like it went by really quickly. And I think that that is, they're making that transition, as you were saying, Joe, of, like, shutting off that clock because they haven't checked. They can't get the outside reference, and they do get lost into it. That can't be on
0: the record, saying.
2: That
1: sound. Hey, wanna hear the most annoying sound in the world?
2: One, two, three, the proposition sounds intriguing. The proposition sounds very attractive. I tell you, it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition.
0: My name's Chris Hoff. I'm a co-creator of The World According to Sound.
1: And I'm Sam Harnett, also a co-creator of The World According to Sound, a former public radio reporter.
0: Attention, attention. We hope you're in a comfortable position and that your eye mask is on. Please don't check your phone for the duration of the show. It will begin in 10
1: seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6...
0: We are doing a listening series starting on January 6, 2022, and it's a 12-week, it's a 12-part series, basically. Um, you can come to all the shows or come to just one of them or do whatever you want, but it's, it's, a, it's a weekly thing every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern we will start pretty punctually. Yeah, it's, it's 12 shows that are really arranging the sort of sound gamut. There are a couple musical type shows, one with the Kronos Quartet and one with Matmos. But then the other 10 are really all over the map. Like there's some thematic shows, you know, one on time, one on solitude, for example. And then we also have a whole show that's gonna be about birds in, in a very abstract way. Um our first show is about sound like the origins of sound recordings this is stuff like before 1923 um so stuff from the 19th century all the way up to the 1920s uh yeah and each show will be about 70 minutes and if you if you do come you get mailed a program and an eye mask 1878, one of the first field recordings ever made. It's an elevated train in New York, recorded from 40 feet away.
1: The sounds are grounded in the literal and there is some information in context, but there are also lots of aesthetic moments. It's really just sort of trying to, every th- Thursday for 12 weeks, like shut out the other senses and, and really like get attuned to, to, to listening.
0: Week in, week out, from morn till night you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measured beat and slow. Like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. And children coming home from school look in at the open door.
2: They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor. Each morning
0: sees some task begin, each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done has earned a night's repose. Thanks. Thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson thou hast taught. Thus, at the flaming forge of life, our fortunes must be wrought. Thus, on its sounding anvil, shaped each burning deed and thought.
1: You know, sort of get to the deep listening space. And it's a lot of our work. but it's a lot of work, uh, you know, done by collaborators, like Hildegard, Vester uh Chris Watson. Um, we have a whole show with Matt as you said, the Kronos Quartet. Um, yeah. Melissa Pons, just like a lot of great sounds. Um, and as Chris said, the first show is dedicated, to, uh, is, is all sound recorded before 1923. So we've been like deep in the archives for the past two, three months, um, just going through all these old cylinders and recordings. And um, that show has been very challenging, but also really, really fun.
0: Every show there will be, there will be one guest artist to talk with us for a while. Hi. Has been centennial sounds presented by the world according
1: to sound. As of January first, every commercial recording made before nineteen twenty-three is now in the public domain. That is what made this show possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Edison's Edison first. It was a tinfoil cylinder. So the recording, and I don't, I don't know how the tech works. Like inside and out but basically the recording was etched in tin foil on a, like a tin foil cylinder um, and then they moved to wax cylinders so it would actually the sound would be um, would be sort of inscribed or i'm not sure if exactly the sound would be put on these cylinders and then play back to the cylinder and you could actually scrape the wax down and re-record um, so in the 1923 show we have We actually, we have a whole section on home recordings, like recordings that people made in their own homes with Edison phonographs. And a lot of times they would take a commercial cylinder that they had and they'd scrape away the waltz or the opera and then they'd record something at home. And a lot of times, I love the home recordings because a lot of times it's just like, I'm like, this is some guy, like, whistling and calling his dog, or, like, singing a song really badly, you know? It's, like, this, like, beautiful opera, which maybe is, like, the only, like, like existing recording of this opera, and, like, some guy just, like, sc- shaved it down and recorded, like, like, you know, him playing the tin whistle or something. <laughs> so, um... There's just some wild stuff. Uh, you know, there's a recording, another home recording I really like of just a guy in Omaha describing the weather. You know, it's like in, I can't remember, like 1908, you know, January 20th, 1908. And he's just telling you what the weather's like. You know, it's just kind of wild. Well, the weather is very cold and we have some snow. The
2: mercury has been below zero all day, as for several days the past week. That's it, that's funny.
1: I mean, for me, I mean, what interests me about sound, again, this comes from like the idea that I'm a journalist and I'm making media and with sound, it seems like you can create this space where the listener has a lot of autonomy and power and is not under the control of you, the narrator. And, you know, with music, it's like an aesthetic experience, primarily with a spoken word. Often it's an informational. I mean, you know, I guess there's, there's lots of other modes for the human voice, but like you know, if you're thinking in a news context, if a newscaster is just talking at you, like you're receiving their information. And if you're hearing a music segment, you're experiencing it aesthetically. And sound is like this other space. And so as a journalist, it was like, okay, like, yeah, if I find this really, this sound that's con- that has a narrative, that there is like some point or it's telling some story, I can I can present it to people without having to explain everything. And it won't be, nece- maybe it'll be a bit of an aesthetic experience, but it'll be a space where the listener can, have their own thoughts and experiences and ideas. And that to me was like super, super compelling. Um, and again, yeah, I think it was, the whole project came out of a reaction to, or the whole project came from trying to do radio journalism differently.
0: There's a definite sort of newness. I just remember, you know, like getting like my first Marantz and... Even before that, like I actually used a uh, mini-disc recorder with like a Whoa, a dope. five dollar microphone. Yourself. Yeah. Jakes. Dude, yeah. This is the early the early two thousands. So it's like and um right, there's this like you know, yeah, there's just like this this like it was so powerful to like it might sound stupid, but and I and I don't know why this wasn't the same thing for like f- photographs for me or something. But there's something so powerful of like just like going out in the world and recording stuff and then coming home and like listening back to it. Just like, you know, go, I remember I was in Germany and like going out on on the S-Bahn or something and just like, I don't know what it was, but it was like clearly this power that I hadn't felt before. And so like, yeah, and, and you know, and like, and, and I think like dovetailing with that is this like familiarity that we all have, obviously with the voice and the and also with like musical instruments, you know, we you know we all kind of know guitars and pianos etc but there's something about like listening to something we also all know which is maybe you know being in a train or whatever but like doing that in this very other context like kind of making this other context with it you know like in this example me at home listening to me being on this train and like being out in the world there's something about the shifting of yeah like, like kind of taking a familiar sound out of its context and giving it a new one like that that was really powerful and it still is like I think that's that's like a lot of our work is kind of is in some ways it is like kind of doing that over and over again yeah
1: I mean I, I started recording things for news stories and I remember listening back to the tape early on like I'd go out and I'd Especially in the beginning I'd go out and I'd like do really long interviews and I'd interview all these people and like I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know what the story was and, I, and then I didn't have a sense of what the good tape was, so I just listened back to like hours of interviews and I remember really liking listening back to like the sound of like getting out of the car and like walking into the building because like it triggered these really strong, powerful visual memories of like I could imagine like, okay, yeah, it was at this Whatever,
0: like this parking was, lot and this
1: yeah, and suburban. I can remember what yeah. the parking lot looked like and what it smelled like, and I was like, it, the, that's when I was like, wow, sound is so powerful. I'm listening to like me getting out of a car, and like, and I can remember like, I all these, I'm having all these sort of visions of that experience, and so like that was like my first experience with sound, where I was like, wow, this is such a powerful medium. And then I would go make some, like, crappy news story that, like, no one would remember and had none of that power, <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah, it's funny, though. I hadn't thought about that in years. I wasn't on a mini-disc, though. I was, I was using my little my little, Zoom H2, I think, or some. Well, was small town. It's been a small town for a while, and I
2: feel like it's time for it to grow up, you know, get some, get some chain stores, and then <laughs> Like Starbucks <laughs> well, that dude Everyone's heading so that works <laughs> they're, they're putting one In the old market I know And I think that's great Well So that like Fucking okay. oh, All the other shit Like Go off bed And shop The shop's Perfect example No more shop
1: The World According to Sound in like the simplest terms. I mean, I guess the simplest terms is like an origin story. Like it started as a kind of a reaction to everything Chris and I were irritated with in public radio. The kind of obsession of character and story and information and fact and talking. 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 And uh, yeah, the show began as just this this idea of how, how can we make a show that's just focusing on the sound or primarily focusing on the sound. So it started as a 90 second podcast, kind of like an anti-podcast podcast. And and then from there, it grew into an in-person live show with a, a speaker array, eight speakers. They were in a circle around the audience and the show was in the dark. Uh, and then during the pandemic, it has morphed into an online streaming show. Sometimes there's a bit of musicality or there's like something in the sound that we find aesthetically interesting or pleasing, But but most of the time it's grounded in like ideas. Like, okay, here, like what is it like to sound, to listen to a bridge? What does that even mean? Or like, if, if, you know, if we give people this recording of ants with contact microphones, like what's that experience of listening to, to those ants and considering those ants through that sound? Like it's pretty grounded in the literal as opposed to like a, a music show or a sound art show that would be predominantly or entirely a
0: And like, honestly, in the last two to three years, the, the, the podcast has definitely taken sort of backseat Um, we still like, so we've been putting stuff out in the last month or so, uh, just like these sort of previews for the listening series, but we just, I mean, we just saw that like our, our, our audience, I don't know, like there's something about the podcast model or something that we're just not that interested in, like, um, like it's fine to put some, you know, stuff out and people might sort of react to it, but there's something there's something so much more sort of deliberate when you when you kind of have this you know evening sort of set aside to actually listen with other people, and that it just seems way more interesting and fruitful to us. And so the podcast is this kind of it's not an afterthought, but we just don't we don't really care that I much mean, there's about something, it anymore. I yeah, there's
1: a lot to say about this, but maybe the first thing is that you know I think the problem with podcasts is is, this, is it is an isolated listening experience. And there's value to that, but like the whole culture of listening to podcasts now is pretty gross. (laughs) Like a lot of people listen, they like listen to stuff all day long. So like they're at work and they have like their AirPods in and they're just being there's just like a stream of, of podcasts, which are like mostly talking shows. So there's just like people have someone talking in their ears all day to them. And. Like, I think, you know, you can do good stuff. And, like, there is something nice about uh, a show that you could listen to many, many times. Or you could listen to it, like, when it really suits you to listen. But I feel like, really, the culture of listening to podcasts has been one of just sort of mindless consumption, uh, largely. And so, Chris and I want to get away from that. And with the live show, it's like, okay, we can control the environment. Like, we can say, here's the time. You're going to be here. You're not going to have other distractions. You're going to actually, like, do kind of deep intense listening as opposed to you know listening at three speed while you like do the dishes you know or like take a you know run and like that can be fine like i like i'm, I'm definitely like kind of being it's like a bit of a caricature um but i think that's why the live show and the streaming show appeals to chris and me because we're like again we can control the environment and then maybe to take a step back i mean the way we look at it as like basically the podcast for us has become sort of like the like the notebook if you will um, or sandbox, if you want to use another metaphor. Like it was a it, like it was a place for us first to like try out some different stuff to get away from our public radio roots, and then it was a place to experiment with sounds. And now, like like in our live shows and streaming shows, is a lot of the sounds that we had in in the podcast. And we've actually done several iterations of the same sound. Like we did like a our first podcast episode was on Mud Pots, and then we remixed Mud Pots later and stripped away a lot of the narration. Mudpots is also in our live show, and it's also in one of our streaming shows. So it's like in every iteration, we sort of, you know, I would say we hone it, hone the sound a little more and get closer to, to maybe the, the real vision.
2: Nobody hearing my words right now is thinking, oh, man, remember what, that show back when it used to be good? Oh, sure, I never missed that show. Back in the old days, back in the first couple years, before it got so-called popular, Back when it was still good, and actually, I think that 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 force, that that human desire to say to say that, is so strong. To say that I was there, I was there back when that show was good. That force is so strong; it is so basic to who we are as people. That I know. um, Okay, what are we? We are two minutes into the program. I know that somewhere out there, one or two of you are saying. Oh, sure, I used to listen to that show back in the back in the first thirty seconds, back when it used to be really good. But remember that remember the back back when they used to do all that crazy stuff?
0: I mean, podcast is a way to publish something, right? Like it's a way for any but any Tom Dick, and Harry to publish something. But also now at this point, people, I think, have expectations of what why they're listening to, to a podcast. and it and it's for information and it's for all all these things that we don't do or don't care about. And so, like, Like a listener of a podcast is certainly not, I think, going to receive the kind of work we do well at all. It's like, in a sense, it's just not the platform for us, I think. Like, you're right. It's meant to be listened to in the car, it's meant to be listened to when you're doing stuff and just like kind of getting some loose information and maybe feel like you're understanding something. And like, none of those things are things that we sort of hit. And so. It's just not really the form for us, I don't think. Or the it's not the, uh, I mean, what do you call it? It's not the platform for us.
1: But what you're doing with the listening series is in some ways closer to the history of radio. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, because you're, right. Because you're forcing this collective listening experience even though we're, we're atomized. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like we're doing something innovative. We We're like reinventing something that was invented like almost 100 years ago. <laughs> it's like, you can only listen one time and you got to be there. I mean, and that that's really it. Like, we are just sort of trying to recreate that experience of like, this is a, a, like an ephemeral experience. There's a bunch of other people doing it at the same time. And there's meaning in that. I would even say that the ticket price is part of that too. Like, we realize if someone, if you pay for a show then it becomes more dear to you. And then you treat it as, as something that can't be wasted. So it's like, okay, I paid, you know, a ticket to one of the shows is 25 bucks. And it's like spending that $25, I think, kind of forces you to really do do the work to actually enjoy it. Well, if it were free, I think a lot of free content is just like, it's easy to sort of be like, okay, I'll just put it on. and like, oh, you know, I'm making dinner. or I'm doing X. I'm doing Y. Like, you don't actually give it the space it needs to, to you know, you don't actually focus on it. So, I mean, there's probably a ton of stuff that smart people could say about, like, the attention economy and the history of media and, like, where we are now. That Like, we're, we're making people pay money so that they pay attention. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, it's also a business model for us because, like, we're not, I don't, neither of us really want to go the advertising route. Like, I don't want to be, like, "And brought to you by Stamps.com or Casper Mattress or, you know, whatever other podcast advertising I found that. Like, part of the reason I started working in public radio is I find all that so icky.
0: We are, like, going a few steps further. You know, of course, like, there is the there is the time. Okay, so Thursday night at 6, we're going to listen to this program, and then it's over. But we're also doing all this other stuff to sort of prime it, which is, you know, we, we we like, send people a thing in the mail. Like, we, we like, instruct people, hey, this is how we think the best listening environment is. Like, you know, be in a dark space and, like, actually even use an eye mask and like do all these things that really will sort of set your brain up to listen. So like it is, it's certainly a bit more, you know, than terrestrial radio of like the 50s. Like people weren't sending each other eye masks in the mail to like listen. So like it is a bit, it's a bit like we're, we're almost exaggerating the whole thing to be like, okay, shut up and listen for a second.
1: Since you mentioned the blindfolds, you know, um, the first thing that came to my mind when I when I read about that is uh, Francisco Lopez, have, have either of you ever seen him perform live? No. He um, somewhat infamously blindfolds the audience, but his music can also be really intense. So some people have, have painted it as kind of a fascistic need to control the audience.
0: I guess I maybe haven't even thought of that, but like it is, maybe we do have an intense need to control. You know, like we are very. This is probably more in our in-person shows because it's the same idea where people come to a space and we hand out these eye masks. I mean, we're not forcing people, but we highly encourage them to do it. But it is. It's like it's all very controlled and it's and it's very much on purpose because like this is what we think is like the only well, not the only one, but like the best way to to consume you know this like listening stuff. And so, yeah, that, that, that isn't. But I hadn't thought of it in like in like fascist terms. But maybe,
2: but maybe it is. We
1: are sort of trying to break people out of their their uh, the, the, the comfort and their their default sensory experience of the world. And you know, I think the default sensory experience of the world for Americans is extremely visually dominated. Like you know, commercial culture has primed us to be like looking at everything and like reading the brand and the advertisements and like we're sort of just kind of pumped to be like taking information and not to be like surrendering to another sense. Like we're not, I think we just aren't conditioned to do that. So like the control aspect is a way to like kind of force people out of that and I think you do have to kind of impose some will to make someone do something they don't really want to do, which is to like not check their phone, you know, not go on the internet not look around at stuff and I, I mean this is like not a judgment call like I'm like I can't do it either you know like if I were at if I were at a sound show I would totally be checking I'm sure I would check my phone I'm sure yeah me too you know we're all conditioned so it's like I, I you know yeah I would want someone to be like no put this on and like actually everyone else has it on and if you take it off you're there's gonna be like this social pressure and you're gonna be that you know douche with the phone out and like that would keep me from doing it so it's like you know I think that's a that's a big part of it I mean, I think, you know, unlike Francisco Lopez, like Chris and I are not, I don't think either of us would consider ourselves artists at all, like, you know, we come from the public radio world, we come from the world of facts and information and journalism, and, like, I think our project is always just sort of, like, how, how could you do that media differently? Like, how could public radio be different, but how could journalism be different? How could, um, you know, how could audio in a kind of a mainstream information context be done differently? I mean that's that's always our, our process. So I think yeah, I mean when you listen to our shows they aren't like I wouldn't describe them as art. Like they're still grounded very much in like factual and the real and like they are like we aren't pushing people into really uncomfortable emotional spaces, I don't think.
2: Um <laughs> Yes. Uh, um. Jack and Jill went up the hill
0: to fetch a pail of
2: water.
0: Jack fell down
2: and broke his and Jill came tumbling after. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you. If you could it twice, the toy store up and you say, I want a puppy and a whistle and a horn and a
0: hat and a dress and a ballerina costume. That's what you get, but when Santa Claus can't bring you, you can't cry. Tony, if um, if the dog makes William the house, if he's ha- if you have to make him a house, house broken, if he makes a wheelie in, in the apartment, you have to slap him with a the newspaper. Then if he doesn't do it again, he's broken. What do you think of the Russians sending the dog up in the satellite? Well, I hope he doesn't get hurt.
2: But if he does, I'm sure they'll send up a medical satellite. In school, um, uh, we each had to do a report on someplace. And, um, I'm doing a report on Hawaii and we're and we're taking notes and doing research. This summer we're going camping and uh, in the month of July, this summer I'm going, the, for the whole month of July, this summer I'm going to uh, go to Brownie Sleepaway Camp. It's all girls. You'll mess my hair and it's very special for tonight. It's just the way I want it. It's in a, a page boy with a high top and that's the way I like it. I'm taking guitar lessons and that's fun. I take drama lessons after school and that's great. And I've been working on the school newspaper. I might be editor next, next year. And I've been discovering boys.
1: Twelve years in two minutes and four seconds. This is Tony Schwartz
0: saying, see you next
1: week. All right. Okay. All
2: right.
1: As much as we are critical of public radio, there's actually a lot of stuff that we're indebted to, that media inform from. Because I am actually, I'm transitioning out of my job. But I've been at 10 years as a reporter and I'm supremely frustrated with the public radio system and with, with the shit, you know, the, basically the way that radio has been done. Like I, public radio used to be a lot more experimental. There used to be a lot more experimentation in form. And it's just gotten really commercialized and like, but like the part of public radio that I loved was like this mix of like media that was experiential because it's not text, it's not a newspaper, it's not a magazine article. Like, you're listening to sound, and by virtue of it being sound, your brain's filling in a lot of these gaps. Which is the thing that maybe I like the most about radio, is that inherently with sound, you can't supply everything to the listener. I mean, with vision, you can't, you know, with the with the visual medium, you can't supply everything either, but if you give someone an image, like, they know, you know, they know how tall the person was, they know what they were wearing, they know what, it, you know, the scene looked like, but if you just, you know, describe a person or in a radio story, they, people only have those details and then their imagination has to do the rest of the work. And that's what I love about radio. Um, and, and public radio appealed to me so much in the beginning, you know, for a lot of reasons. One, it was non-commercial. Like, I really liked the fact that it was not ad-driven. Uh, Two, was this fact that it's, a, it's like a, a minimalist medium. Like, you have to just pick these little things that you say and then the listener does all this work. And then, yeah, it was experiential that, like, people were, were listening to the stories and experiencing them, and you could, you could sort of change their emotional state or, or you know, inspire them to think um, by the way that you put the story and the sounds together. And I loved all that. And I, I still, th- in our work, like, the way we approach the sounds is grounded in that public radio sort of conditioning or education of, like, how can I take this sound and, and frame it in such a way that, like, the listener can get a lot out of it. Like either have an emotional reaction or just have a lot of like thoughts and associations. And basically like, how can you, you know, construct a narrative out of this sound and the where we d- differ from where 99% of public radio is now is we don't want to explain it all. I mean, that's the mistake. Like you know, in public radio, people took this beautiful medium that had all this potential. And instead of going to like the uncomfortable or dangerous Parts where, like, people could have all these thoughts, they just sort of start hand-holding and describing everything because, oh, my God, we can't have a moment where the listener doesn't know what they're supposed to be thinking. And that's where, where we really diverge.
2: Maybe you've already seen this on Twitter or heard about it, but I just wanted to say it here to all of you. Hello, everybody. This is Jad. I have, um, I would say I was going to start the year with some big news, but actually we're already into the year. But what is time, really, these days? I have some news I'd like to share. Uh, I, for a while now, I've been wondering to myself, when would be the right time for me to step aside as host and allow this thing that I've created to evolve into its next, uh, Chapter, and uh, I think that time is now. So I've decided to step aside as host of Radio Lab.
0: It's a medium. The medium is sound, and it's used for only one very, very, very specific kind of sound, which is you know human language. Like that's that's like that was our like first sort of major you know thing that we wanted to. To sort of rebel against, to um, so try to put stuff on the radio that had no language or very little language in it, and just actually listening—that's what the medium is. Like, like, like that was our original critique, um, and I, and it still is. Like, I, like I still kind of really believe in that, you know, because like what the only things that public radio uses sound for is very, very functional aspects, you know, just to like set you in a scene. That is really the a, only use of sound in the It's a story
1: media. about Starbucks' new latte, and here we hear the espresso machine. Must be in a Starbucks store.
2: This first store <laughs> on Madison Avenue in Manhattan has minimalist decor. Gray soft seats, charcoals, chestnut browns, Tivana teas line one wall, beakers filled with colored liquids greet you at the entrance, and the food behind the counter looks like someone took Starbucks'
0: And so, yeah, like, like, I guess really at root, there's this like, there's this desire to, you know, to like get to go beyond just the functional. And and, like, to me, like information is is functional too. Like, like there are, there are other ways to, you know, both like get at meaning or some kind of truth or any of those things. And you can get at it by experience as well. And so like, we just think experience really matters. and you don't get, you don't sort of experience a thing by hearing somebody tell you a thing. Like, that just seems to be a human truth
1: as well. Like, when a public radio narrator or host, where there is something really interesting, like some story or some sound or some character or some moment, and then the reporter or the host comes in and, like, enacts the emotion. You are know, like, whoa, or oh my God, or or says something, like, describes, like, it's just like, even in the moments where you created a, an emotion in the listener, instead of letting them have it, it's like, it's like, it's sort of circumscribed by the narrator's experience of that emotion, <laughs> which I feel like anytime I listen to the radio, like I hear that, and I'm like, oh, God, just give it some space, you know? And for me as a listener, like whenever that happens, I feel like I can't even have the, the first reaction. It's like, wow, I was actually interested and I was kind of amazed by that thing, but now hearing someone enact amazement, I can't. I'm like, that much
2: Everything is like a shitty Aesop
0: fable, like they have to they they give you the moral at the like it's crazy you know I mean that's just what we're primed for now like they give you the moral at the end like you just set up this whole thing and I get what's going on and then you have to tell it to me also and it's just like fucking Christ like I'm not an infant you know so that's like I mean this is an extreme but like that's kind of where like the radio is and like not all podcasters are doing this obviously but that's just what that's like what I guess I don't know is popular I don't know why people keep doing it but that's what's going on
1: the commodification of media like as it becomes a commodity and you need to sell it predictably it's like okay if it fits a particular very very particular format that we know that works well like it encourages that like reg- like that, that like race to the bottom <laughs> you know it's like we know that like a 3 minute story that's uplifting and yeah. like, doesn't like makes people feel comfortable we know that's a winner and that'll get the, you know that'll get the donations or people will tune in and we'll get the ad revenue like I mean, I think that's yeah. it's so depressing. And I know, you know, I've talked to people at NPR that from a functional point of view, that's why the, at least in terms of timing, like that's why stories have have to be certain times because that makes them functional. And for for like the efficiency of, of a newsroom, like the operational efficiency, you can't have a regular content, a regularly shaped content. You can't have a 10 minute story. It's gotta all be four and a half, that's it. Like otherwise, then you introduce complications, and you need to have more staff, and you can't pump things out as quickly. So it's like the whole
2: yeah. you know,
1: media commodity machine.
0: Anyway. <laughs> anyway, on that note.
2: <laughs> and so from 8 to 11, I'd be playing my show, and I was board op-ing at the time. hmm Which means I wasn't just making the thing, but I had to sit at the board, hit play on the CD, and then between hour one and hour two, and hour two and hour three, I'd have to say the weather, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I was doing the whole thing. And after me, Joe Frank would come on, and he was part of my shift, and every time I'd just be like, what the F is this stuff? I, I would just be sitting there listening to him and just like amazed and like mentally taking notes, being like, oh... This guy has a feel and a there's a surreality and a disorientingness to his stuff that I just just really fascinated by and I was like, "Oh, I want to I want to do that." Can we play that one that we said that we can't play?
0: There was a time when I danced
2: on a street corner dressed as a chicken. <laughs> My job was to draw attention to a furniture store down the block. One evening, When my shift was over, still wearing my chicken outfit, I walked into a bar across the street.
0: I ordered a Bombay martini, straight up, olives on the side.
2: (laughs) A prostitute sat down next to me. She was young, willowy, had a faraway look in her eyes. I mean,
1: maybe, I mean, this is a piece that's in our live show. Like, there was an NPR documentary about Jonestown. That I think it's fabulous like I think it's formally really interesting and they did really stuff with sound that you would not hear today uh, uh, on public radio but even beyond just their like the sound use it was the like their journalistic approach and their the decisions they made in that piece I think you know when I first heard that it blew my mind so that that is big um, and Joe Frank is very good <laughs> and written on the wall with the words yeah.
0: know that someone is suffering <laughs> anonymously and unknown. <laughs> And that by the time you read this, I'll be we're big fans of the idea of North, which is, I guess, radio. I, yeah, that was built, made for public radio.
1: Yeah, technically. CBC. Technically. You know, yeah. I did a. Uh, no, this a dog was sled trip of 22 days and the other fellow was like, well, I, I did one of 30 say, days. Then, no, it for seems another a great Perhaps they would, seen, they, they, would they, they would see, they would see, see themselves as more Sure, the North uh, has skeptical. changed my life. I uh, can't
0: conceive uh, of anyone being in so close so touch with he the North, North, whether he lived there all the time or simply traveled it month after month and year after year. I can't conceive of such a person being really untouched by the North for the rest of his life. When I
1: left in 1965, at least left the job.
2: It this is oh, there's some uh, special
0: wasn't
1: because of uh, of the merit, some virtue of to uh, being the in the no north, or some so special or virtue having as as uh, in having and been I with the I primitive servant, people. What well, special, special virtue is there in that? And uh, it is most so difficult. To I, I find it was really extreme observation. This is very
2: true, and I knew very well I could not go anywhere except. We really
1: like Hildegard Vesterkamp's work. Um, I don't know if that's radio, though, either, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, her piece piece is aired, you know? Um, Yeah, and again, like, uh, we're not so steeped in this world. Like, I come more from the journalism world, and I'm trying to think.
0: I was a big fan of, like, early, uh, like, wiretap stuff. From, the, I don't know, the early 2000s, maybe?
2: Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, Let's Pretend.
0: He's still doing stuff, which I guess is still good, but I really like the early stuff.
1: And I think also wrapped up in the critique is like, you know, I remember when I first heard Radio Lab. like, I really liked the choppy sound design that Jab was doing. Like, I really liked a lot of those techniques. And, like, I really liked... I mean, I don't know if I still feel this way, but like, i really like this American life stories when I was in my early twenties, late teens. And there's like really valuable aspects to a lot of that. It just, I feel like has been sort of sucked sucked into this iteration machine where it's like, okay, there's like, there's like these four ways to do it. And you just take any story that has those potential elements and just shove it into the, the format, you know? I mean, that's, that's like a very critical that probably
0: is like speaks to the, you know, like, like this American life's been doing this for twi- like, you know, that's the problem. They should have done it for three years, right? And stop. Like, you know, it's, it's like any, not like how many artists keep making, you know, besides like a Bob Dylan, like who keeps making stuff ad nauseum? Like you just can't or shouldn't maybe. So it's like, it's clearly, it's clearly, you know, motivated by commercial interest, which, all right, it's I guess that's fine. But I mean, as a form, it's lost. It's, it's, you know. Whatever, it's credibility, you know, a long time ago, because you just can't keep doing the same thing over and over again.
1: We've actually, I don't know about you, Chris, but I've only gone bird watching once, and I went, it was Chris, Chris and I were together. We went with a a, a person who was blind. So it was entirely auditory. And I was really interested being being with this guy, Brian, and having him describe what he's hearing. And yeah, it was kind of like maybe the same as you. I was like, wow, this is a really this is a really auditory experience. Um, and the bird show, so we're teaming up with Bird Note, which is a public radio program. and. To be honest, when we, it like sounded like a good idea, and then we're like, okay, we're gonna do it. And they're like, oh my God, how are we gonna make a 70 minute show? Just like, is this gonna be like bird squawking for like Like how are we gonna do this? Um, and now <laughs> as we started working on it, we're like, no, actually this is a good idea. Like there's, there's wild stuff. And it's just, yeah, the sounds are just really incredible. And there actually is a huge range. Um, and there's like all these ways that bird sounds connected t- to the human experience. And I would say it's like a it's, a, it's a sort of, in one sense, it's an introduction to Matmos. Like we break down their songs and we take out the sonic elements and we describe like what the sounds are and you hear the raw sounds. But it's also, if you really like the band, it's like also like a deconstruction and like a reimagining. It's like, oh, like, yeah, what are, like, what are the sonic elements behind this? How did this evolve? Or like, what are the, the individual pieces? This is Martin whipping sticks through the air his partner, Drew, edited them into a rhythm.
0: And this is what the sticks sound like after Drew heavily remixed them.
1: To be honest, I haven't heard the show since we did it last year. We did it one other time, so I'm really kind of curious now that a year has gone by to listen to it again. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I remember a really great rubber band section—a section with a rubber band.
0: We break down part of the uh, part of their "A Chance to Cure" album. You know, the hospital—the hospital album, basically. Like, there's a breakdown of you know, like liposexual, like all those sort of crazy sounds, we like really kind of spend time with them. And also like a non-musical sense. And then, and then of course it becomes musical. But, um, yeah, it's like, it's like a very inside. It's like, yeah, it's like a sort of like inside look at, at the Matmos, um, like their process. And then, and then yeah, then like, they like, he like made a couple compositions kind of like, you know, based on all the conversations we had had together and, So those are all, you know, basically new, like new things, people.
1: Yeah, we kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say we stumbled into it, but basically we started doing the podcast and we had all these great sounds and we're like, oh man, it'd be really fun to take these recordings we have of the Golden Gate Bridge, and of ants, and this like recreation of an auditory hallucination, and put them on like a big speaker ring. And so, um, yeah, we work with Meyer Sound. We have eight speakers from them, two powerful subwoofers, and we set up this ring of speakers, and everyone sits in the middle in the dark with an eye mask on, and each of the speakers is controlled independently, so we can, you know, we can have the ants appear in one speaker, and then disappear and appear in another, and then move from speaker to speaker. And we started doing it... Oh, God. When was that, Chris? Four years ago now? Yeah. Five years ago. Yeah, 2016 maybe. Yeah, and we were touring before the pandemic. Like, we would tour and do the show. Um, And we we plan to start touring again. And the hope is now... I mean, we have these 12 shows. And we know... we We did one of... The the um, online streaming shows we converted it to the eight channel and it was a success. So we're thinking we might have a bunch more shows. Like maybe we would do, um, you know, a bunch maybe a bunch of the theme shows could be done on the on the eight channel rig.
0: Yeah, still sort of. I feel like I feel like those in person those eight channel shows are still a little bit our first our first love, so to speak. There's just a lot. There's just a lot. There's a lot more sort of power and a lot more you can do with with space, you know, and yeah, they're, very, they're still really interesting and exciting to me. Not that I, like I really like headphone stuff too, but it's such a different, and you know just like being around all these people I also think is really great and nice. Um,
1: I mean maybe though, what you're, maybe that's, that's a bit of the fact that you, you are an engineer primarily and you've spent your whole career mixing for stereo. The eight channels is like wow, all right. It's just like a whole different world.